Welcome back to our podcast, Equity For Real, by Make Green Go. I'm your host, Lawanda Knox, and we need real change, y'all, by real people committed to social equity and social justice. So today, we have a special guest, a change agent, Tahir Johnson, who is the Director of Social Equity and Inclusion at the U.S. Cannabis Council. He also has a podcast called The Cannabis Diversity Report, and he's here to shed some light on where we are headed in this multi-billion dollar cannabis industry. And he's here to shed some light on, are we getting closer to federal cannabis legalization? Can cannabis create generational wealth in black and brown communities? So let's dive right in to the interview. And it will be narrated by Nathan Slavic. And again, our special guest is Tahir Johnson. Thank you. For sure. I'm happy to be here. So I'm kind of interested in starting a little bit of your, your background. I know maybe you even started out in, in finance and then made the transition to, to cannabis. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about what, what prompted that transition. What's your kind of uh, journey into cannabis? Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, back in 2018, um, you know, I was looking at the cannabis industry. And like you said, I was looking, um, I was working in finance. And one of the things that attracted me to the cannabis industry was as I um, looked and I started finding more and more about um, some of the inequities that exist in cannabis specifically about how access to capital was one of the biggest barriers um, that kept people of color from opportunities in the industry. Um, it made me want to um, try to do work to help to change that. And so then um, started in, I moved over to cannabis um, and it started out with, um, you know, that was re- that's really been what my goal is to do from the beginning. Um, so to have the opportunity now um, with the work that I'm doing to have the oppor- have had the opportunity to really educate people on um, opportunities in cannabis, um, and now to um, try to make sure that we have policies um, that um, that allow people allow people to do the same thing. So. Well, I certainly see the kind of through line. It's interesting, if maybe because of your finance background, you're able to identify, for example, like access to capital as being an issue that others might not kind of realize until later on. But making the kind of, you know, leap from maybe a more, shall we say, like traditional career path into cannabis still feels like this kind of labor or love or, or, or passion. Um, so was that kind of social equity, social justice component always a, a passion for you? It is. It's something that's always been a passion for me. Even when I was in finance, um, one of the things that I really tried to that I tried to focus on was financial literacy. Um, and try to make sure that our people, um, the black and brown people, had access to um, the information to um, try to be financially successful. And so um, I see a lot of the same um, opportunities in, um, in the cannabis industry. So I can, I can definitely kind of track where that, uh, that early interest and passion kind of led you along the line. Now, maybe get a little bit about what your role is now and what you're particularly focused on. Sure thing. So yeah, now um, my current role, um, I serve as the Director of Social Equity and Inclusion um, for the Marijuana Policy Project and also the U.S. Cannabis Council. Uh, the Marijuana Policy Project is 
um, is a is a nonprofit organization that's focused on um, focused on policy, um, which has been responsible for um, helping to create the laws um, in a number of um, different states. Um, and also the U.S. Cannabis Council is a trade association um, that represents um, many of the um, many of the um, a number of different cannabis companies, um, many of the largest operators and other organizations um, in the industry. And so with both of those organizations, I get to focus on um, diversity, um, social equity and inclusion policy, um, and also programs and initiatives. So I'm working on, a, working on implementing a number of different programs across our member companies that will hopefully um, see some, make some impact in the industry and help us to um, achieve those goals and um, increasing social equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion in the industry. Can you kind of share some details or get a little bit more into, you know, what is a project or initiative you're trying to push <clears throat> now that you're particularly excited about or you think might be able to really have that positive impact? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so one of the, um, some of the things that I'm working on are an intern. Um, one of the things I'm working on is an internship program. Um, that we can have across all of our member companies to um, to help build a pipeline for um, diverse leadership, future leadership and companies um, to help, um, you know, to help have an impact there. Um, and then also from a policy standpoint, um, you know, looking to um, lobby to make sure that we pass policies and laws um, that can positively impact um, black and brown communities that have been most impacted by the war on drugs. Um, and so that includes policy at both the state and um, federal level. So, of course, there's different bills um, that have been released, like um, last week's the Cannabis uh, Administration Opportunity Act um, or the MORE Act. And, you know, like I said, trying to find and um, lobby for policy positions that actually help to um, increase opportunity and access for people of color in the industry. Mm -hmm. So I think, too, in my mind, at least, you know, there's this uh, a lot of overlap for sure. Um, but there's also these two tracks for states that already have an equity program um, and then states that, you know, you're looking to either, you know, uh, legalize entirely or um, add an equity program to. So for states like California, and we have kind of listeners everywhere, but primarily focused in California, um, you know, where equity programs have been happening for and I was going to say a while <laughs> hasn't been that long, uh, but certainly some of the longest in the country. Uh, what are some of the biggest kind of obstacles, pain points, struggles uh, that you see for equity programs that have already launched um, that you need, need to be overcome and maybe need to be addressed by new legislation? Sure. Well, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, that you all um, that you all do um, really well, and I think that happens a lot in California, that we need to make sure we have in other places is that there's education and technical assistance um, to get into the industry. And I think that includes, um, you know, different different um, training and education around business scales to um, like both cannabis specific and um, like industry specific, as well as just, um, you know, educating people on the, like the different things that about the different regulations and how to start companies. Um, so education is one piece of it. Like I've already touched on access to capital is another piece. Um, but then also um, making sure that we have different, like eliminating license caps, um, not having license caps, you know, so that it is, um, so that, you know, small social equity operators aren't having to compete for 
um, limit compete with larger um, larger operators for a limited number of opportunities. Um, you know, those are those are some of the other things that we can do to help. And then also, um, now to make sure, um, which is a which is a newer goal of some of the social equity programs, has been to make sure that money actually flows back to um to black and brown communities that have been um you know that have been most harmed by the war on drugs in ways other than um just cannabis and so that's been that's to make sure that um you know money can go to community programs or education and and all different things like that to help um to help positively impact communities that have historically been um you know victimized by the war on drugs and that's black and brown communities Let's hear a little bit more about that. What are some kind of specific policies uh, we can put in place to ensure that that money does go back to the communities? Excuse me. Um, well, one of the, I mean, one of the things that we've seen um, that we've seen happen recently, like for example, that is in um, in the legislation in New York and New Jersey, is to make sure that um, you know tax revenue can go can go directly. Um, you know, directly back, you know, directly straight to the, um, you know, to the towns and municipalities that have had those, um, you know, that have had that type of harm. Again, I think some of the other, um, you know, some of the things that we can have is there should every, every, I think it's very important that in where we have legalization that there are defined social equity programs so that we can have actual opportunities for people from those communities. Again, because if we're, if we have a situation where we're competing um, you know, against greater, more well-capitalized companies um, for the same type of opportunities, then, you know, it's, it's, it, you're at a place where it's challenging for, um, you know, social equity operators to be successful. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of these issues kind of dovetail together. You brought up lack of access to capital, maybe lack of resources and education. Um, you know, at least particularly in the, the Bay Area when I, where I am, kind of predatory partnerships have been a, a major issue. Um, and even if not predatory, even if, you know, kind of positive, so to speak, um, these kind of larger partnerships uh, being this kind of necessary step, right? So if someone gets a license, there's no way that they can spend the two or three million dollars it takes to hold a piece of real estate for all the years it's going to take to get the license. So they have to, you know, bring in these corporate partners that they were maybe um, competing with for a license in the first place. Um, and also plenty of stories of people who've kind of signed bad deals or, you know, yeah, again, more partnerships that are, are more uh, predatory. So maybe a rambling way of asking you the question or trying to get into your thoughts on, you know, can equity partners and some of these larger corporations kind of exist peacefully or how can we support equity businesses better to ensure that they can be totally self-sufficient and not have to um, seek out these potentially damaging deals? Right. Absolutely. And I think one of the, one of the biggest ways that we can do that um, of course, because when you look at a situation where you have people that are um, really hungry to try to get in the industry um, and you have different exorbitant costs, whether it's real estate or consultants or um, lawyers, attorneys, um, construction, build out all those different costs that you have, um, you know, that you have people having to assume to get into the industry. Um, you know, I think one of the best ways is to be able to have some type of support, um, you know, from, whether it's grants or low interest loans that people can have access to against it, like you said, so that they don't have to 
um, you know, go out and look for those types of things. But I think also, um, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that we do protect these companies and that even if there are opportunities for, um, you know, partnership that is, you know, that is not predatory and that we're having um, good business um, practice. And that's, I think that's also where the education um, and everything comes in so that our, you know, that people are aware of, you know, really, um, you know, how to, how to not be taken advantage of and what a good partnership looks like. Um, I think, you know, again, that, that education and making people aware of that is something so important, especially to make sure that this promise of generational wealth that a lot of people talk about can um, be seen through cannabis is actually a reality. Yeah, I think you know, for, for me, some of the, uh, and you know, I'm not, uh, not judgmental at all. Like the person in that position, if they want to, you know, make some money, great, you know, by definition, if they qualified for equity, they're low resource, they've been through a lot of hardship. So um, absolutely no blame, but it's kind of very disheartening to watch that people get offered deals. You know, I've seen large companies come in, offer a hundred K for a license, for example. And to that person, that money seems life-changing immediately. Um, but they just don't understand that that's really a, a drop in the bucket to the type of generational wealth um, that they could have had and that could have spread into the community if they had been better resourced, if they had been able to kind of hang on. Um, so at least from, from my limited perspective and my experience getting in the industry, uh, that's kind of one of the biggest issues that I've seen. I agree, man. That's that's spot on. And I think it's, I think one of the things that we have to realize is when we talk about cannabis, even today, we're talking about a, a industry that's um, $20 billion of, um, you know, revenue right now in the United States. And so we definitely don't want to sell ourselves short, um, you know, but like, uh, you know, again, like, like you said, I, they, I know that we do have so many people that come from communities that have been struggling and hurting for a long time. Um, and we want to make sure that cannabis can um, be a, you know, be a tool um, for people that have been harmed by the war on drugs to actually be able to build a, get a piece of, um, you know, some of this revenue that's created because as it stands right now, um, you know, there's less than 4% um, black ownership and, um, you know, really very low numbers of minority participation in the industry in general. So, you know, we want to make sure that people are prepared to um, take advantage of the future of cannabis as well. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to kind of bring this around to some more, uh, some more positivity here a moment, talk about some wins and some opportunities uh, that are coming up. But um, first, you know, so for someone who maybe just got, you know, verified as an equity applicant, um, what kind of pitfalls would you tell them to look out for? What kind of guidance would you give them around kind of their next immediate steps? What are some of the most kind of common either mistakes or misconceptions you see um, people making early on in that process? Sure. Well, from, you know, talking to a lot of, um, a lot of friends and people in my network, um, one of the things that I would say that's important is planning, um, being prepared for, um, you know, one thing to know that if you are in a business that, um, you know, 280E, for example, is something that people should plan for. And for anybody that's listening, that may not be as familiar um, with that. That's, um, you know, cannabis businesses, because cannabis is federally illegal, they don't have the ability to um, write off, um, you know, a lot of expenses and, and different things like that that other traditional businesses can. So cannabis businesses end up with a higher 
um, tax rate. And so I think as a cannabis business entrepreneur, being planned for that, um, you know, being planned for um, all the future, ex- you know, future expenses um, is something that's important. Um, and then also, I think for I think it's important for people to um, kind of look at, you know, what is what is their long term strategy, um, you know, for growth and, um, you know, what do they want to do in the industry? Um, I think that those are all, um, you know, all parts that are really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched on something I definitely see as a kind of common misconception, not just from people in the industry, maybe even more so from people outside the in- industry or the, the average person, this idea that um, because they see numbers like they're, you know, 20 billion plus dollars coming that anyone who has a cannabis business is like automatically rich, right? Uh, there's all this money coming in, but they don't realize that they're paying in most cities like 3x the tax rate that a lot of other businesses are. Plus, they don't get federal tax breaks. And when you kind of add all these things up, plus operating costs, plus new regulations coming out that they have to spend money on. But by the time you kind of add all this up, the margins can be pretty slim and it can actually be relatively difficult to you know, make, make a profit despite how much um, the industry is growing overall. Absolutely. That's so true. And especially when you look at, um, you know, I think some of the challenges that, um, you know, small bit, small and minority businesses may have, you know, getting shelf space and, and all those other things. Um, I think, again, making sure that that wealth and, you know, opportunity um, comes back to our communities is so important. And, and that is, you know, it is important that I think that people understand all those things going into the industry. Um, and can be prepared to, and can be prepared for it. Because like you said, I, I think a lot of people do look at the industry from the outside looking in and just imagine that everybody's um, making a millions, making millions and millions of dollars, but which, which, which really isn't the case, especially for, um, you know, small minority and women-owned businesses. Yeah, I think it's, it's really crucial that people are clear-eyed about kind of what they're going into, but I don't want to be all uh, kind of doom and gloom either. So, um, uh, I'm interested in hearing from you, what, what have been some of your kind of biggest uh, successes, even if it's a, a, a small one, helping out a specific person, what are those moments you've had where you felt like, okay, we, we won today. Um, this is why I do this. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you one of my, um, you know, there's, there's so many different people and success stories that I've seen um, across the cannabis industry. Um, one of them that I think of is my, um, my good friend, Shayuna Dadeji. Um, he's the youngest. Um, he's the youngest brother in African American in the country to actually own a, to own a dispensary. Um, he has dispensaries on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon, um, and also um, in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and so he was somebody who was a who was arrested for cannabis when he was fourteen. Um, and now he's been able to build, um, you know, build a business that's a, a multi that's a, a multi state operator. Um, and so you know, for me. Um, I love to highlight the stories of of people like that that have been able to go against the odds and be successful in the industry. Because like you said, as much as there are some of these challenges, um, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. And I also want people to believe and know that it, that there's a possibility and that it can be done. So, um, you know, just highlighting the stories of people like that um, that have been able to, um, you know, come in the game and make some positive change um, is always important to me. Um, and then also, you know, again, on the, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about a number to see a, a number of laws 
um, that are really focused on equity happening and taking place on a um, national stage as well. I think that that's something that is, um, you know, really important, you know, like last week where we saw the, the bill released by um, the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act and, you know, the MORE Act and seeing all these things advance on the federal level to possibly end the, um, you know, in prohibition, man, the idea of, you know, people being locked up for cannabis, which is largely um, people of color is something that, you know, is so important. Absolutely. And so that's perfect. I'm sure a lot of people are, are curious to get into social equity on a national level as well, but you know, you're, you're pretty close. What's your read on federal legalization? Are we imminent? Are we still years off? You know, I would say I would say at this point it's not a question of if it's going to be legalized, but when. Um, you know, is that day today? Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure we're there, but I, you know, I definitely think we're. Um, I definitely think we're leaning that way. I think that most people, like when you look at um, cannabis in general, um, the idea that now that people should not be. Um, you know, that people should not, it's, I think the idea that this is not something that people should be arrested and going to jail for is something that's finally starting to sink in. Over 70% of Americans, um, you know, are in supportive of cannabis legalization. So we just need to get to where um, the policies and everything catch up with what the people, you know, what the people believe in, and then also make sure that legalization, um, with legalization that we also focus on um, you know, how to make sure that there's some restorative justice and opportunities, again, for people that have been impacted by cannabis um, that actually benefit from um, this as well, because cannabis is certainly um, an important social issue, not just a, it's not just a business or industry issue. Absolutely. So on, on a national level, what does that kind of uh, social justice program look like? And I apologize. I'm just uh, maybe too ignorant to the act that was uh, maybe it's addressed there and this this act you were mentioning. But um, can you kind of paint a picture for us of how that might look or work on a national level? Yeah. Well, to be honest, um, I actually I actually printed out the um, the actual document reviewing all you know with all the details of the of the new bill, and that's on that's one of my um, that's my personal homework assignment to to get through that entire thing. Um, to get through that entire thing today, but really, the focus of it—the focus of it really is to, um, you know, to make sure that people are no longer uh, that people are no longer going to be arrested for cannabis, and also to make sure that there's a system in place to um, regulate it. And very much the focus of the bill is try is to try to have restorative justice and to try to make sure that there's opportunities um, for people of color. Um, like I said, and I, I personally even have to. Um, read it to make sure I have all the specific details um, so that I'll be able to share that with, um, you know, share that with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're going to kind of see this, that's what these equity programs are doing on either a, a city or a county or kind of state level. Um, it's just so interesting to me to see cannabis go from this thing so heavily stigmatized uh, that has done so much damage uh, cannabis itself obviously can be very healing, but in the it's been used as a tool uh, to imprison and harm so many people, and now it has this opportunity to kind of be a, a pathway to a lot of healing and potentially even reparations on a certain level. Um, like what a remarkable shift from even you know the eighties uh, nineties when I was growing up. Yeah, tell me about it, man. I know. Um... 
I know for me, um, you know, where I grew up in Trent, New Jersey, seeing um, seeing people arrested for cannabis, um, you know, me personally, um, seeing friends and family members go through that was definitely something important. And, and to see um, the way that culture and just the times are changing so much is definitely, um, you know, and to be a part of it is an exciting thing. Um, you know, for me, like I said, just having even been in New York recently um, and cannabis being legalized there and just being able to um, consume cannabis anywhere where you can consume a cigarette, where um, there was previously a history of stop and frisk and all those things. It takes some getting used to, man, but it's it's good to see that um, the world's finally changing this way. Yeah, yeah uh, hopefully that, that changes, you know, coming soon. I know it's not uh, not tomorrow, but in large part, thanks to you and all the people like you who are, are doing such hard work. So um, thank you for that. No, thank you. And then, you know, also, like I said, the, the work that you all um, do is so important because that education and technical assistance and making sure that people are actually prepared to be able to take on these opportunities is so critical. Um, and also, like you said, that they have the education to be able to identify fair partnerships and, and really be able to build a business that can, um, you know, that they can build something that they can um, create for their family um, for generations to come is so important. So I appreciate the work that you all are doing out there also. Well, many, many thanks. Um, yeah, don't want to keep you too long. My uh, vantage point has been a great conversation. Was there anything you wanted to kind of leave us with, mention, plug? Well, yeah, like I said, it's, it's always a pleasure. Um, you know, one of, my, um, one of my goals that I also share is trying to make sure that I educate people um, on, um, on different people of color that are really making moves in the industry so that they can share um, their blueprints and how to get in. And I host a, a podcast every week called the Cannabis Diversity Report. Um, and that's available on every, um, every podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, all of those. So um, definitely check me out there um, if y'all have the opportunity to. And you can follow me on social media. Um, it's Todd Diddy, T-A-H-D-I-D-D-Y on Twitter and Instagram, and then just my personal name, Tahir Johnson, um, everywhere else. Pretty, uh, pretty jealous of that username, to be honest. <laughs> you know you what? That's been, my, that's been my nickname since, like, middle school, so <laughs> just keep rocking with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, like I said, I'm an I'm a 80s baby, so I was a Nate dog for most of elementary school. Regulators came out, and then about a week has gone by the rest of my life that I've been called Nate dog. Hey, man, you got it. When you get a good nickname, you got to keep rocking with it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, yeah, again, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And, yeah, folks can check out uh, the Diversity Podcast, follow you on social. Um, thank you again. Appreciate y'all. It's a pleasure to be here and look forward to connecting again soon. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Equity For Real bringing you the realest stories by the realest people. Hopefully, you've walked away with a bit of encouragement to take the next step in your cannabis venture. This is LaWanda Knox, signing off. See you next time. Peace.